Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Today's episode takes us to my home waters of the Great Lakes, and we'll be talking with Mike Stout about his journey as a paddler leading up to his unprecedented five crossings of Lake Michigan. Be sure to visit www.paddlingtheblue.com where you'll find links in the show notes for this episode to some of Mike's trip accounts so you can follow along if you'd like. Enjoy today's episode with Mike Stout. Hi, Mike. Welcome to Paddling the Blue today. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. So, Mike, you've done quite a bit of paddling in only a few years. So tell our listeners a little bit about you and kind of what got you started paddling. Yeah, I picked up the sport five years ago or six years ago now. And I just turned 55. And my idea was to pick up the sport just for a local hobby on the local lake, for fun of the sun, recreation, outdoors, and fitness. And I told a client of mine in California my plan, and she challenged me. She said, think bigger. I was kind of caught off guard, and then I began thinking what we have around here, around where I live in Minnesota, the Twin Cities. We've got the Minnesota River, the Mississippi River, the St. Croix, the Namakagan, we're the state of 10,000 lakes, and not too far we have Lake Michigan, Lake Superior, Lake Huron. So I thought, well, maybe we'll challenge myself here. So I began looking at different kayaks, did a lot of online research, then began reaching out to manufacturers, and I found an open sea kayak that I thought would be a perfect fit for my need. It's a custom-made kayak from a manufacturer in Tacoma, Washington. And it arrived in April of 2016. And I immediately took it to the lake. And at the time, we still had ice on the lake. So I got in the lake, hadn't paddled in probably 40 years. And it was a little bit clumsy at first, to say the least, but I just fell in love with it. And nearly every weekend, every other weekend, I began paddling, gaining confidence in my skills, began paddling more aggressive rivers, and just fell in love with the sport. For five, six years, I put in nearly 6,000 miles. It's been quite a journey. So think bigger and challenge yourself. Did you ever think that it would take you to where you've gone today? Never. No. Maybe it's my DNA. I just got into it and challenged myself to get better, more proficient, began chasing more miles, greater challenges, and I was pretty good at it. And the best thing about it is that paddling the rivers and the lakes, I'm seeing things that otherwise I wouldn't see. Different viewpoints, vantages, the wildlife, the scenery. Just an incredible sport. And around here, we have incredible rivers and lakes to enjoy. So you didn't take very long to start your lake crossings. So what, what seems to have gotten the most notoriety for you in the past few years is your lake crossings. Uh, first Lake Michigan in, in 2016, which that was the year you got that boat, right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. your Lake Michigan crossing is in your first year in the boat. Yeah, Lake Michigan the first year. And I told my friends, my family my thoughts about crossing Lake Michigan, they weren't too, they weren't too supportive. <laughs> <laughs> they tried to talk me out of it, and, but I was determined. So the first trip was in August of 2016. It was the day after my granddaughter's second birthday. It was an amazing thrill. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. So from April to August... What did you do to prepare from not having paddled in 40 years 
uh, in that April of 2016 to now being ready to cross Lake Michigan at 50 miles. Is that about right? 50 miles across as the crow flies. Okay. So what did you do to prepare in that period of time to get yourself to that level? Well, I just basically began paddling uh, the local lake, which is Prior Lake in the suburbs of Minneapolis. And then I gravitated towards many, um, the Minnesota River. Then I graduated to the Mississippi River. And each trip I began doing more miles. First it was three, then six, then nine, then 20, then 30, then 40. Then I peaked at 60 miles. And then I thought, well, Lake Michigan is only 50 miles across. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> You've already done 60. 50 is less. There you go. So. <laughs> yeah, but the, the difference is I'm paddling Don River. Yeah. Versus across a major lake. So sure. it was a much greater challenge than I thought. But I guess ignorance is bliss. <laughs> so what started the fascination with lake crossings? Well, I'm from Michigan originally. I grew up in a small town called Comstock Park, just outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan. So I grew up on Lake Michigan, played there, swam there, jet skied. Then we had a summer cottage in the Upper Peninsula on Drummond Island, which is just off of Lake Huron. And then growing up, you'd cross the Straits of Mackinac, making our way to, of course, Drummond Island. So I had this passion for these great lakes. I had a real affinity for them. I guess when you're competing in sports, you learn how to compartmentalize fear, right? If you have that sense of doubt, worry about failing, you'll likely fail. So just having access to the great lakes, having great respect for them, I just began chasing greater challenges. Some were planned, some were impulsive, but it was the thrill, the excitement of something bigger, the risk, if that makes sense. Tell us about the planning process for Lake Michigan and how did your, yeah, your planning process for Lake Michigan? I wish I was more of a student than, than what I was. I was going on my ability, my first 500 miles that first year, my strength, my conditioning, my confidence. That's basically about it. I just knew that when I paddled across the lake, I needed to be well hydrated and try to stop every hour for a five to 10 minute break just to rest, to snack, to hydrate and keep on going. So my preparation was basically more mental, just to not be overwhelmed, not to be fearful, be determined. I felt at the time, because I was cross training before I picked up paddling, I was doing many triathlons, working in the gym, that I had the strength. And based on the early season conditioning, I felt confident about my ability. And now it's a matter of putting it out, out to test and on Lake Michigan. Now I'm thinking 50 miles as the bird flies. That may take me, I had mine, 12 and a half hours. And that was foolish. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got on the lake. I launched about 3 in the afternoon. And the idea that in the afternoon, after 3, the wind typically calms down. Or the evening and the early morning hours, so it'd be safer or less risky. And I don't mind paddling late until the early morning hours. I was feeling at that time I'd have the stars to myself and the lake to myself would be pretty special. Well, that trip, the wind was stronger than I expected. It was coming from the south and it wanted to push me sideways and push me out course. So I had to turn sharp into the wind to avoid being tipped over. And to my surprise, after I got done paddling, I kind of like mapped my course based on pictures. The lake actually pushed me quite a ways north off of, off of plan, off of my course. Now, it's the first time doing it, so it's always more intimidating. It's an awesome experience. 
but you get out there five miles from shore, you can't see behind you. So what you have in front of you are literally hundreds of square miles of open sea. It's just incredible. And nobody's out there besides you. No other boaters and you know, just the solitude, the serenity of the view. It's like, man, I'll never see this again, possibly. So I really enjoyed it. And then that evening, just as the, the sun set behind me, it was like someone turned on the light switch and it went immediately dark. And that shook me up because I couldn't see in front of me. I had my headlamp on so I can see as far as the front of my kayak, and that was it. So it took me a few minutes, maybe five, ten minutes, to get really in touch with the lake, to feel the rhythm, the movement of the lake, my paddle, my kayak. And after I settled down, it became a pretty spectacular view and a special trip. So I'm out there, and now it's midnight. I'm still not seeing any sign of shore. So you get a little bit rattled because you don't know how much further you have to go. And all of a sudden, I see the um, constellation. It's the W-shaped constellation, my favorite constellation. It's only stars out that evening at that time. So I look up, I go, everything's going to be okay. And I took that time. I took a pause. The lake was calm at the moment. And I gave a few prayers, being thankful for my health, the opportunity, an incredible life. And talked to my mom, my dad, my brother, my grandparents. So it's really getting in touch with God in the heavens. It's, it's really special. Quite an experience. Yeah, then around 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock, I start seeing some signs of light, um, light shoreline. And finally, after like 15 and a half hours, three hours longer than my worst case scenario, I crash on shore. I paddle through a number of fishermen that are fishing off, off um Lake Michigan, and I'm wondering what did they think by this paddler coming from behind them from the middle of the lake as he makes his way to shore. Well, I hit the shore, I'm exhausted, I'm spent. I just struggle out of my kayak, pull out my sleeping bag, and just crash for the next few hours. But it was an amazing accomplishment, and being the first time will always be, you know, a favorite. So how far off course were you? To my surprise, I hit my course, my designated spot, dead on. Really? Dead on. Like, how is that possible? So you said that you, at one point, had been pushed way off course. Um, how did you How did you navigate? How did you get yourself back on course? Well, I have the uh, my GPS, my MapQuest. So it gives me a location where I am on the lake. And you can look at the shoreline, get an idea of where you are. So I knew it was well off course up, you know, further north. Then you make the adjustment on your camp, on your compass, and you do the best that you can. All right, so you're carrying a uh, GPS then with you? Yeah, okay. my phone. My phone. Right. Okay. Um, what other safety gear are you carrying in that one? Well, I brought my um, ship to shore radio. I had flares. And. So, what did you learn on that trip? You learn a lot about yourself. You learn about yourself, your mindset, your ability. The, the limitations you put on yourself are simply self-imposed. And it really gave me a chance to think about how, how blessed I have been with having two lovely daughters, a supportive family, close friends. And another insight, too, is that this is when I turned 55. My brother, he was four years older, he died at 55. And I saw him just before he died, and he was angry because he wasn't ready to to pass on, to move on. He felt he had much more to live. 
And I didn't want to live a life of regrets for not having done things I wish I, I could have or wanted to do. Another factor is my dad died when he was 60 or 62. Just as he retired, he got throat cancer and it spread to the lipnoids. And through aggressive treatment, he beat it. Then it came back. He said, no, I can't do it. So he died just after retiring, having his full retirement ahead of him. And he couldn't take advantage of his time, you know, the rewards of his lifelong work. And he was also obviously upset. He felt cheated. So in the back of my mind here, I'm thinking based on my family's history, I have between 55 and 60 to make the most of my life. Well, totally I beat the odds and I'll be living a lot longer. But at that time, it's like, I need to make the most of it. So I think I have. And you certainly have. So that's your first one. That's your first Lake Michigan crossing, 2016. And then you, uh, then you, then you decide to really go big and really challenge yourself. So tell us about Superior. Now, when I told people about Lake Michigan, nobody was supportive. So I told only a few about Lake Superior. They didn't want people to get worried or to be upset. And those that I did tell, they were not supportive, as you can imagine. But that was the next, next challenge, right? You do Lake Michigan, what's next? Well, it's Lake Superior. So I began charting out my course to figure out what's it mean to go across Lake Superior. And the course that I charted out was beginning at the Canadian border on the Pigeon River, which separates Minnesota and Canada. I would paddle the 20 to 22 miles to Isle Royale, camp out there that evening, and then paddle the next 52 miles to Houghton, Michigan. And I had set a date looking at the weather reports, looking at the buoy readings, talking to some experts in the area. And they said the, the most dangerous area typically is the area between Minnesota and Canada and Isle Royale. That 22 miles, the wind seems to kind of like funnel through there, gets choppy quickly, it can be very dangerous. So I was really wary about what was going on there. Well, looking at the weather, my goal is to always have a three-day window of projected calmness. So if the, if the weather shifts, I'm protected in theory. Well, the first window I had committed to and I went on Facebook and told my friends, you know, I'm going, you know, send your thoughts and prayers. But the weather never opened up. It, it stayed, stayed messy. So I had to announce it. I'm canceling it. I'll go later on. A week later, the window opens up and it's a go. And it stays, it stays good. So I charted out my path. So as you're driving up there, it's about maybe a 10 hour drive, I'm guessing, seven hour drive. We stopped five areas. And three stops, the first one's in Duluth. We're talking to a, a guy in this big Escalade. He's pulling his 26-foot Chris Craft speedboat. He asked, you know, where are you going? Where are you kayaking? And I said, well, my plan's across Lake Superior. And he voiced his objection, telling me his thoughts about what I was about to do. And that was kind of, you know, upsetting, discouraging. I was hoping for more like, wow, go for you. Good for you. Go for it. That kind of shook me up. Now, the next stop, we stop at the Split Rock Lighthouse. And the Split Rock Lighthouse is about 110 feet above the shoreline on a cliff overlooking Lake Superior. And I've always wanted to go there just to, to take it in and take the view in. So we stop there and we walk the grounds. And then I look over the cliff overlooking Lake Superior and it just shakes me to my core. I look out there as far as I can see, it's open sea. I'm thinking, I'm about to paddle that this afternoon. And I know that I'm paddling much further than the distance that I can see. 
and it's, it's intimidating, it's overwhelming. So I look away and collect my, my thoughts, walk around the grounds, take in the beautiful area. And before we leave, you stop by this one building. It's called the, I think it's the Foghorn House. Well, it's a converted Foghorn building. It's now a museum. We walk in there, and the museum is giving tribute to all the sailors and all the ships that have been lost on Lake Superior. That shook me to the core. It's like, what am I doing? They Edmund Fitzgerald sunk, took with him a number of sailors, all these ships. And here I am going on my 17-foot, 2-inch open-sea kayak. Like, what am I doing? But I've already committed to it. Then we stop in Grand Portage to have lunch. And the last stop is the convenience store to gas up my car, my truck, make sure the tires are all filled up. And the manager behind the desk, he sees my kayak and goes, well, where are you, where are you kayaking? So I tell him, now he's from the area, he strongly objects to my going across Lake Superior. And at the end of the, the counter are three other women, two or three other women. They're older, maybe in the 70s. And they hear the conversation and they too plead, don't do it, don't go. So along the way, I get some... <laughs> Not very positive reinforcing thoughts, right? <laughs> yeah. But we get to the um, the boat launch. I forgot what time it is. Maybe three, four, five in the afternoon. It's a hot day. I'm putting on my, you know, 1.5 millimeter wetsuit, top and bottom, my gloves, because I'm prepared to spill. And the water there is about 42 degrees, so you have to prepare for the cold water. Well, the first leg going from Pigeon River to Isle Royale, it's like glass. It's perfect. It's incredible. So I make it across in record time, about one o'clock in the morning. I find a spot under a pine tree that's flat, set camp. And in the morning I wake up. And I told myself, you know, if the weather is good, I'll take off around 10 in the morning. If it's not perfect, I'll wait until about three in the afternoon for the reasons I explained before. When the weather's perfect, so I take off at 10, and just as I pass the point, leaving Isle Royale, all of a sudden the weather begins to turn bad. What I thought would take maybe 15 hours to cross, took me 21 and a half hours to cross the lake. And all along the way, I was facing incremental challenges from the lake, be it the wind, slight rain, rolling waves. About two in the morning that night, a sudden storm picked up. And I can't see beyond the, the front of my kayak. There's two foot, three foot white caps crashing over my kayak. And I have no idea how long this, this storm will last. If I'm the, at the edge of it, will I be in the middle of it? But you can't get fearful. You just have to keep your head on and paddle through. Now, at the same time, as I mentioned, that the weather was really good. So I dressed accordingly, which was a mistake. Because it was a cool day after I got out there. In about five, six hours, I'm fighting hyperthermia. The chill's setting in, and I can feel it. So I'm having to deal with that to warm up my core. So this 21 and a half hour paddle across Lake Superior was not easy. It was much more challenging than I thought. It took much longer than I thought. Then finally, I'm seeing lights on shore. So I'm excited and trying to get an understanding as to how long it'll be before I land. It's much longer than I thought. Finally, the sun begins coming up over the horizon. So I take some pictures of it. But as the, the sun's picking up, all of a sudden the wind is really picking up. And for about the um, last just two miles, the shore is in a view. But I'm facing now 
15, 20, 25, nearly 30 mile per hour winds racing along the shoreline. The waves are pushing four foot, maybe greater. And I'm just being pummeled by these waves crashing over my kayak. And I know if I spill now, as close as I am to shore, no one knows where I'm at. Before they get someone to me and more retired, I'll be cold and fighting hyperthermia. And I knew all along if I had an accident, it was never going to be a rescue. It was going to be a recovery. And that you keep to yourself, of course. But the, the wind finally subsides as I make it towards the Houghton Channel. And just as I make it to the Houghton Channel, three big charter boats are coming out of the, the channel, racing to their fishing ground. But they're not looking for a kayaker in these conditions. So I almost get run over by the second charter boat. And the third charter boat is coming right at me. Well, I look to the other captain, and he's calling his other buddy, and he gets waved off just in time before he hits me. I'm thinking, how tragic would that be? I pedal all this way and get hit by a boat just off the shoreline. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to laugh at it, make the most of it. And just as I pass the south side of the Houghton Channel, the wind breaks, it's calm. I paddle into shore, I stand up, and I say, man, can you believe it? That was an amazing journey, and I promise to never go back on Lake Superior again. <laughs> <laughs> so that was 21 and a half hours. Now, is that 21 and a half hours from Isle Royal to the Keweenaw Peninsula, or? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, the total trip is around 28 miles long, or 28 hours long. Okay. So you mentioned earlier that the, both with this trip as well as the Lake Michigan trip, you talked about the conditions are good. What is your criteria for a go in terms of conditions? Yeah, good question. My go is if it's eight miles per hour or less, it's a go. If the conditions, if the wind is between eight and 12, it's go with caution. And ideally, I want to be below 10, but I'll go to 12. And if it's 13 to 18, it's not a go. Just too risky, too dangerous. And the good thing about going across Lake Superior, there are a number of buoy markers that can, you can look and get an idea of the reading as to the wind and the waves in those areas. So you have the benefit of that. But with today's maps and weather forecasts, you can really look at the, the weather any point on the lake and do a three-day forecast and find a three-day window where things are expected to be calm. The whole idea is that, you know, things change, but if I have a three-day paddle or a three-day window, I feel pretty good that if it does change, I'm still protected and I'll be safe. So I look at the wind, the waves, and a three-day forecast for safe conditions. And it's worked. So you, um, you're heading up there and you get all this advice from every single person that you talk to on the way up to say, don't go. So why do you continue to go? Because I can. <laughs> <laughs> because I've committed to it, right? Okay. It's easy to say, you know what? No, I'm not going to do it. It's risky. No one else would in their right mind do it. But it's the challenge. It's the thrill. To, to push yourself and maybe be, be the first to have done something, it's pretty exciting. Kind of like a, creating your legacy, right? So are you, are you also, in addition to your GPS, are you also carrying a locator beacon? No, it's my GPS, which is my phone. Okay. My ship to shore so I can get the weather report to see if things are, are getting better. Now, speaking of that trip across Lake Superior, I'm listening to the weather report, and there is a storm coming through on the... 
southwest side of Lake Superior going through Duluth. I'm going, where did that come from? I was not expecting that. Well, that weekend, it was the same weekend of the Chicago to Mackinac yacht race, sailboat race. And if I remember right, 97 boats got knocked out of the race because of the violent storms and strong winds. And I just missed that. And then I learned there was a storm coming from behind me that if I had taken much longer, I may have been caught up in that. So because of my planning, looking for a three-day window, I had protected myself in case of shifting winds just like that. But I was fortunate because things could have gotten ugly pretty quickly. All right, so another question then. The conventional wisdom, I guess, is to dress for immersion and dress for the water temperature. So in your situation, you're wearing a, a mil and a half wetsuit and you've got your GPS, uh, you've got your weather forecast for three days and uh, your criteria that said that it's a go. Um, yeah. You're not carrying a, a locator beacon. So what would you say to those who's, who might just say, you got lucky? Oh, I did. Okay. And you know it. Yeah. But others would boat with outriggers for protection, for safety. That increases weight and drag. You could overpack, which means more weight. There's always that balance of, you know, too much, too little. Oh, definitely. I was on the light end when it comes down to maybe having all the equipment that you would like. But you work with what you have. It's all about managing risk. And I assume those risks may not have been the wisest thing, but... Um, it was risk I was willing to take. There's always trade-offs. Exactly. So you've got Michigan once, then Superior, then you decide Michigan again, 2020, and then in 2021, you decide Michigan, well, why not, three times? <laughs> well, what happened was I was thinking 2020 was going to be my last year of really paddling. And that year, my goal is to average 1,000 miles per year. So I had paddled that year, I think about... 1,250 miles to do that, but I wanted to do something that no one else has ever done to really put my stamp on the sport, especially for a man in his 50s, late 50s, and no one has paddled across Lake Michigan more than once as far as the records indicate. Well, my goal was that year was not to go just across Lake Michigan, but to be the first to do a round trip across Lake Michigan. And I trained for it. I paddled. I was paddling 50, 60, 70 miles a day, 125 miles per weekend. And I knew if the conditions were favorable, I had a chance and I would do it. And with that crowning achievement, I say, I could now retire from these grand adventures and feel fulfilled. And that year I did a 150-mile course from... Um, Lansing, Michigan to Grand Haven. That's part of the training. So I had the, the, you know, after five years of paddling 5,000 miles, I had the strength, the conditioning, I had the endurance. I was ready for that. Unfortunately, the weather did not cooperate. The second day, the wind was howling. It was four to six foot waves. I'm taking the Ludington Ferry of the SS Badger back from Ludington to Manitowoc, looking at this lake and going, man, did I get lucky again? But even though I paddled that year about 1,250 miles, and I'll say 1,276 across Lake Michigan for the second time, I felt unfulfilled. Just did not feel like I had finished on the note that I'd hoped for. So 
just feeling unsettled. I felt, well, for whatever reason, I said, I'm going to paddle three times next year. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. And that was my plan after 2020, right? I said, I'm going to do three for whatever reason. Okay. And this year, the weather was really, we had a really warm June. We had July-like weather in June, and I had been training. I was ready for it, and everything worked out. I paddled across Lake Michigan three times in 33 days. I paddled four times across Lake Michigan in a period of one year. That's 2020 and the three times in 2021 in June for a total of five times across Lake Michigan, which has never been matched before. So it's kind of cool to say I was the first to have done multiple trips, three in a season, and each trip this year, my speed got better and better. So quite the accomplishment. So your first crossing of Lake Michigan was, you said 15 plus hours, is that right? It took me, I think it was 16 point, oh no, the first trip in 2016, was 15.5, right? Uh, yes. And now your last trip was what? 13 hours and eight minutes. So what contributed to that? Was it just conditioning or, or what else might have contributed to cutting that time down? It was conditioning, training, good lake conditions. It was calm, not wavy. Even though the, the lake pushed me far up north, it was good paddling conditions and everything came together. In my last trip, I was going to do it just for the joy, the joy of it. I brought my parents' ashes with me just to take them with me and have a kind of ceremonial trip. It all came together. I was religious on my stopping every hour for 10 minutes for drinking. Every two hours, I would drink and snack. Every four hours, I had to have a major meal. And I stuck with that regiment. And then as I got near the end, I had the... Um, Big Sable Lighthouse in sight. I looked at my watch and said, I got a chance to be under 13 hours. So I sprinted the last two hours, hoping to beat 13. Got close to be 13 hours and 80 minutes, but um, yeah, it all came together. After paddling 5,200 miles, having a paddle across the Great Lakes, I had the mindset, the confidence, the skill, the regiment. It all came together. Well, congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you, John. Yeah. So with each of those crossings, I'm assuming you learned different things. You mentioned, for example, in the first crossing uh, that you know you, it was dark, and so you needed you know it sounded like you needed different lighting and all that. What did you? How did you apply the learnings as you went through each of those crossings? Yeah, good point. Um, that's why I began paddling in 2020. I began earlier in the day with the idea of finishing just before it got too dark. I don't mind paddling at dark, but what's nice about paddling at the late time, you can see the shoreline. You feel safer. You got the landmarks that are easier to track. So in 2021, I launched each time around 5.30 in the morning. So I was certain to be done around, let's say, 6, 7, 7, 8 o'clock. And I could take in the view. I could land. I could walk around, just take in the, the scene, take pictures, but just to mitigate the risk. And it's really incredible, though, when you paddle across the lake, and you see Big Sable Lighthouse, you know, the light, the beacon of hope. You go, that's where I'm going. It's just inspiring. And you pick up your pace naturally, and then you sprint for speed. And there are people on shore that see you come in. They're wondering where you come from. That's really an exciting trip. So each time you've gone across, 
Was there someone waiting for you or is it always just you and a beach? The first two trips across Lake Michigan, I paddled and then I had to find a way to get to uh, Ludington to take the ferry across back to Wisconsin. This year, I had a high school, excuse me, a college sweetheart that was there each time I landed. So she was there to greet me and help me with the logistics to get it back to the um, SS Badger and to celebrate my, my feats. And what was special about that, my last trip was on July 13th. That was my 60th birthday. So it's great to celebrate this major accomplishment on my birthday with a, a close friend. So it was pretty special. Quite an accomplishment over the, over the course of five years. What advice would you offer to somebody who's considering doing a long crossing? First of all, make sure that you have the physical strength. You've got the mindset because you have to realize that every paddle will come across something that you didn't expect or plan for. So you have to be versatile. To give you an example, my first paddle this year across Lake Michigan, I forgot my compass of all things. So, you know, you make these, everyone makes these novice mistakes. Everybody does, right? So be prepared and to enjoy it. Just truly enjoy it. And if you can, you have to, you have to have the ability to push out that sense of doubt, that fear. Because if you get overwhelmed by fear or doubt, you're at risk because you may over respond or make a foolish decision. You may spill and find yourself in trouble. And when I paddle, I'm often the only one in the area, either by miles or hundreds of square miles. So when you're in those kind of situations, if you have a terrible mistake in really cold water, it's it's not good. It's not it's not good. And like you had mentioned before, always dress for the conditions of the water. The weather may be 70, 80 degrees, but the water, because it's still June, it's only 50 degrees. So I have to dress according to the water in the event of a spill, of an immersion. And that's tough, but that's, you know, that's just the reality of paddling long distance, not having help nearby and preparing for the worst. Hydration, electrolytes, food, conditioning, the mindset, there's a lot to it, isn't there? There <laughs> is. a lot to it. But it's an amazing sport. I, I truly enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed telling my stories and sharing photography on social media. That's been part of the joy, too, is sharing my adventures with others. But, you know, those who are considering picking up kayaking or want to take their game to the next level, I highly recommend that they find maybe competitions where other serious paddlers are there just to watch, to listen. It's a great fraternity. Kayakers love to share their story, help others improve their skills through either diet, nutrition, training, paddling, equipment. It's a great fraternity. And I highly recommend paddling long distance. It's an incredible sport. You see views that you wouldn't see otherwise. It's a healthy sport. The serenity, the solitude, the wildlife. It's an amazing sport. I've truly enjoyed it. So Mike, from what we've talked about so far, you got five crossings of Lake Michigan in total, uh, crossing of Superior. You did three crossings in 2021. Your intention was to do uh, an out and back, so a, a, a return trip as well. Um, and you said uh, you, you wanted to do three, three instead. I can't imagine that you're done. So what's next for Mike Stout? 
I have promised to retire several times, and I seem to be unable to. <laughs> I love the Great Lakes, and I'm thinking about crossing next year Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. So I have all five Great Lakes under my belt. And then in the back of my mind, if it were po be possible, it'd be a thrill to kayak from Cuba to Miami or Cuba to the Keys, wherever I'd land. But I would say in the near future, Lake Ontario and Lake Erie are calling me. And those are relatively easy. They're about 35, 40 miles across. So it's a matter of just getting at it. Well, I wish you the best in pursuing those. So with that, how can listeners, listeners uh, reach you and learn more and, and find out more about your adventures? Yeah, John, thank you. They can go to my, my website. It's www.thenorthlandadventurer.com. Thenorthlandadventurer.com. There I have highlights of all my, my trips, my grand adventures, short trips, special subjects, but it covers my first 6,000 miles in quite detail through writing and photography, and I think they'll enjoy it. They can always reach out to me through that if they would like to. All right. I'll make sure I get uh, links to that in the show notes as well, and so people can uh, reach out to the Northland Adventurer and, and, and check that out. So, Mike, one final question that I have for you, and it's a question that we ask all of our guests here on the show, and that is, Mike, who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue? Well, John, if I could, it may be kind of out of the ordinary, but I'd recommend the owner of NC Kayaks. His name is Travis Goldman. And Travis has been a tremendous supporter of me from the beginning, guiding me to the right kayak, the equipment, hints on, you know, taking care of my kayak. He's truly a great ambassador for the, support, uh, for the sport. He makes exceptional custom fiberglass kayaks. And I'm sure he's got a number of stories to talk about the sport, his product, just an amazing ambassador. So if you would, reach out to him. I will definitely do that. I'll, I'll uh, connect, sorry, I'll collect Travis's contact information from you offline and uh, we'll reach out to him and see if we can get him on the show. So Mike, great. Mike, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you joining me today and uh, sharing the, the background on your adventures and your history as a paddler and um, we'll look forward to seeing you on the water again soon. All right. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Thank you. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions, along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler, and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or white water, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit PaddlingExercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. Think bigger. Challenge yourself. Well, that's the challenge that someone threw down to Mike, and Mike did exactly that when he decided to cross Lake Michigan five times. Everyone determines their own risk tolerance. What's right for you and for me might not be right for someone else. Mike moves light and fast, and his equipment reflects that. He's undertaking some huge distances, solo, 
and he understands the choices he's made and the consequences of those decisions if something goes sideways. And like he said, if something goes wrong 25 miles from shore, it's not going to end well. If you're considering a big objective, like a large open water crossing, make sure you fully assess the risks, your abilities, your gear choices, and have an A, B, and C plan if things don't go the way you expect. And speaking of assessing and managing risk, our next episode is going to feature one of the world's most recognized advocates for cold water safety, Molten Avery. And Molten's going to share how he got his start in the world of water safety and how we can keep ourselves safe, as well as his best advice on how we can represent safe paddling to the community overall. As always, thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.